कंज बिहारी चाय गोपेमानंदी हरि हरि Welcome. Welcome to our new studio. Oh, you're over there. Yeah. Welcome to our new studio. Hmm. Yes. Looking good? Okay. I don't have my keyboard here. Well, sort of, but not really. So we're going to be talking about yoga maya and we will continue. This you know it's frosted actually outside. I know I look like I just come back from skiing but it's frosted here in the lateral. What can I say? It's just unusual weather. Sharadha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Radha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Gopijana Balava Giribaradhari Gopijana Balava Giribaradhari Radha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Gopijana Balava Giribaradhari Gopijana Balava Giribaradhari Jishodanandana Pajajana Ranjana Shudhanandana Pajajana Ranjana Jamuna Tira Panachari Jamuna Tira Panachari Radha Madhava Kunjabihari Radha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Radha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Radha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Sisi Radha Madhava Ki Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai Gopayamanandi Hari Hari Bo Welcome back everyone we're going to continue our readings and discussion on the nature of Yoga Maya and Maha Maya. And we're going to begin reading. Hmm. Here's a statement by Srila Bhakti Siddhanta. So we've been we've been talking about how Krishna is not manifest to everyone, and then talking about how Krishna's lila is not manifest to everyone. Well, it's manifest, but they don't see it. I mean, they see it, but they don't see it. 
So, you remember we had, I had found this prayer by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. It was a prayer to Yogamaya. And we have read that prayer before. Let's read it again. It's an interesting prayer. Verse 1, the likes of such a lowly soul as me is not to be found anywhere in this world. Thus I have become most agitated due to falling into this vast ocean of material existence. Okay, can you relate to that? I'm the worst. We all think we're the worst. It's not true, but we think we are. Can you relate? So here I am, the worst of the worst, fallen into the material ocean. O Yogamaya, when will you show your mercy to me by lifting up the curtain of illusion with which you shroud the universe in your external form as Mahamaya? You are known as Kuladevi, the traditional worshipable, worshipable goddess of all the Vaishnava dynasties. Hmm. Nice prayer. So sometimes we pray, Maya, please remove the curtain. But here he's praying Yoga Maya to remove the curtain, to ask. So Yoga Maya, uh, when will you lift up the curtain of Mahamaya? Because Yoga Maya is the source of Mahamaya. One second. Yogamaya is the source of Mahamaya. So, so we don't pray to Maya, we pray to Yogamaya to lift the curtain of Mahamaya. Interesting, right? Text 3. I have heard of your glories and activities from the Vedic literatures. You take all those souls who are adverse to Krishna and bind them within the material world. So now, even though he's praying to Yogamaya, He's talking about her features, Mahamaya. I've heard about you. This is what you do. You keep us all, you like keep us here. We've been here forever. We can't figure out how to get out of here. This is what you do. You've, you've, you keep us here and you're doing a really good job. Text four. To that person whose good fortune gradually dawns, allowing him to again become favorably disposed to Krishna, you award liberation and make him free from all grief and fear. So now, Yoga Maya, in, his, in her internal feature, not in her external feature, uh, someone who has good fortune, you allow him to become Krishna conscious. Who has good fortune, someone who meets a pure devotee, and takes advantage of hearing from them and serving them. And then, so he begins by saying, look at my condition in the material world, and now he's saying, we're doing good because I have your mercy. Or if I get your mercy, it will remove all the grief and fear that I'm drowned in. Text five. Oh, my dear mother, Showing your causeless mercy to this servant, give me a place in Vrindavan, for you are Yogamaya herself. This is the prayer of the Vaishnava. We want to live eternally in Vrindavan, serve Krishna. Of course, we're meant to live in Vrindavan, 
within our consciousness. And for the preacher, they'll go to hell for Krishna. So you have this kind of duality where the preacher is living in Vrindavan and wants to always be in Vrindavan. At the same time, he'll go anywhere to spread Krishna consciousness. But then he'll always come back to Vrindavan, take shelter, then go out again. So, you know, both things go on simultaneously. And Yoga Maya is controlling the leelas or producing the leelas in Vrindavan. So naturally, praying to her for a place in Vrindavan makes sense, correct? Good or good? Great or great? Okay, hold on. Good or good, great or great? I have to... Uh, Yeah, I just want to sit up so I don't want you to lose. I don't want to lose my head when I sit up. Okay. <clears throat> Text six. Without complying with you, no soul at any time can get Krishna. For the manifestation of Krishna's pastimes is all enacted only by your mercy. So you... <laughs> we either comply with the Yogamaya or we comply with Mahamaya. But if you want to enter Krishna Lila, then you comply with the Yogamaya. And it's it's assuring to know, isn't it, that there's an energy which pulls you to Krishna. That's that's good to know. That the elevator goes up, not just down. Because sometimes it seems like it just goes down. That the energy like the like the energy is there's this inertia or gravity in the material world, and it's hard to transcend the modes of nature. It does seem like that, because for conditioned souls, that's what's happening. But it's nice to know there's an elevator, and you get on that elevator, you just go up. That's the elevator of Krishna consciousness, controlled by yoga maya. So find that elevator, and you'll be fine. But if you get on the down elevator, then you say things like, oh, Krishna consciousness is difficult. No, well, you got on the wrong elevator. So this is, um, this is text seven. You are the devoted follower of Lord Krishna and you are the mother of the universe. You have shown me the transcendental touchstone of Krishna consciousness. Text eight. My dear mother, I sincerely wish that you you will let that you will let my faith in the Vaishnavas increase at every moment. Beautiful. Last verse. Actually, it's going to be an interesting class because I have nothing else to read. I thought I I didn't prepare to study more because I was studying something else. If if we don't have a discussion on this, then we can talk about what I was studying. I thought. I had like 10 pages, it turns out that this, I thought I had like four or five pages of quotes left, turns out this poem <laughs> took up the last four or five pages. Here's the last verse. Without the lotus feet of the devotees of the Lord, Bhaktivinoda is not able to cross the other side of this ocean of material existence. So he's praying to Yogamaya to have her shelter, but then, um, He's also asking her to develop faith in the Vaishnavas, 
faith in their words, faith in their service, and which implies the association, the ability to hear, the ability to apply what you hear. Without the lotus feet of the devotees, Lord Bhaktivinoda is not able to cross the other side of this ocean of material existence. So it's interesting because he's praying to her for her mercy to be under a shelter, and in praying to her he's saying, but I need the association of the sadhus. Like your mercy is not enough. I need their I need your mercy to get their mercy by their mercy. Then it's all good. So it's interesting, isn't it? The the dynamic of it. Praying to Yoga Maya, please uplift me, but give me the Sangha of the Vaishnavas so that I can go back to Godhead. Now, if you've if you've ever felt inspired in Krishna consciousness or you you've ever felt if you ever felt strong in Krishna consciousness, you know, you always have to remember, it's by the mercy of the Vaishnavas, their sangha, their realizations, seeing them engage in devotional service, it's by their mercy that whatever you're experiencing, is that you, it's by their mercy that you can experience whatever it is you're experiencing. Because without the Sangha of devotees, no one could be a devotee. You know, sometimes it seems like, well, you know, I've practiced Krishna consciousness for a long time. I can be a devotee. I don't need association. It's not that important. It's true you could be a devotee, but you can't perfect bhakti without Sangha, especially Sangha of more advanced devotees. So Prabhupada says it doesn't become perfected, doesn't become complete. And then he said, it doesn't become blissful. So yeah, you can get by without being with the devotees, but it doesn't become blissful, and it can't, you won't perfect your devotional service. I was describing something last night for those of you who were in class, something, and I described it briefly I think in these classes, I can't actually remember, as it's often difficult to know which class I said something, and I, I have no concerns about saying something over and over again, because I know from my own experience, I don't remember everything the first time, and when someone says it again, I say, oh yeah, I forgot that. So I was explaining last night, well, I was answering the question, the devotees often ask, how was it that you disciples of Prabhupada were so surrendered, you made so much sacrifice? Because they read stories of young men and women going, opening new temples, sometimes in other countries, living in vans, taking baths in the cold, there's only ice, they just get some ice and take a bath. And, and just doing all, you know, sankirtan 12 hours a day, sleeping five hours and so forth and say, oh, you Prabhupada disciples, you are special. We couldn't do this. and so. But it's actually not true. Because when we saw Prabhupada, we wanted to do all these things. And so I say to you, if you say, but you Prabhupada disciples, you're so special, so this or that, I would say to you, if you met Prabhupada, if you saw him, you would do what we did. It's not that we were especially qualified. But we had that Sangha 
And that sangha of being in Prabhupada's presence was so powerful. It inspired people to give up everything and surrender. Even, you could say, even before they could ever do that on their own. It could have been, they could have been light years away from doing that on their own, developing Krishna consciousness to that degree where they could surrender. And by, to that degree of surrender. And then by seeing Prabhupada, it just, I'll do anything for you. Just love, you know, love at first sight. And like so much love coming out. Like where's all this love coming from? Where's all this, because love means self-sacrifice. So where's all this self-sacrifice coming from? I didn't, I didn't even know I had it in me. Because, you know, materially, love is, it's all about sexual love and, grat you know, you love someone because they gratify your senses. So this was a different kind of love. And we, we were experiencing for the first time. So anyone, any one of you, if you met Prabhupada, you would do the same thing we did. You would, you would go crazy, basically. <laughs> crazy in love of Krishna. You would go crazy in loving Krishna. Yes, you would. That's my solemn promise to all of you. You would go crazy in loving Krishna. You would. I promise you. So we were fortunate. I don't know how special we were, but we were fortunate we got Prabhupada's association. And in that association, we just wanted to give up everything. So that that is the power of association, especially with advanced, advanced devotees. It's interesting. We were also mentioning last night, perhaps you've heard that the reaction to offending de a devotee depends on the level of advancement of that devotee. So it's not that I'm saying you can offend a devotee, but I'm just saying that the, the reaction to offending a devotee varies according to the level of advancement of that devotee. So if you offend, offend very elevated devotee like Srila Prabhupada, Not good, not good. If you offend a new bhakta, you'll, you know, it's not good either, but you'll survive. If you offend the pure devotee, you may not, your Krishna consciousness may just dry up unless you ask for forgiveness. So, if it works negatively, then you can understand it works positively. So we want the mercy of Vaishnavas, but... We want to please the Vaishnavas, but the higher you go, uh, the higher Vaishnava you can please, then the more you make advancement. So there's so many things that Prabhupada wants us to do, and if we do those, we make advancement. Right? That's the idea. If we do those, we make advancement. You, you know, like you distribute books and Prabhupada's so pleased. You open a temple, you make a devotee, you help a devotee. Yeah. Um, it's not just non-devotees, it's helping devotees, speaking to devotees, bringing anyone to Krishna consciousness and Prabhupada's so pleased, maintaining his temple, so pleased. So that's the other reason that we could 
make so much advancement because we're trying to do what Prabhupada wanted. And if he were pleased, it was like there was like this hurricane behind us, just pushing us to Krishna. So, what, what our Shastras teach us is two very distinct lessons. They teach us the lesson that if you get the mercy, especially of an advanced devotee, you can become very Krishna conscious very quickly, even in spite of yourself, even in spite of your resistance. And if you offend a pure devotee, you could be very advanced and it could destroy you. So whenever there's a discussion on criticism, usually there will be a discussion on mercy. Because when you criticize a Vaishnava, then you block this dam of mercy. You don't get it. You're just like, <coughs> it's, it's stopped. If you appreciate that Vaishnava, if you serve that Vaishnava, you get mercy. If you criticize, then there's no mercy coming. So there's always this comparison. Like, what is it that you get from a Vaishnava that you don't get if you criticize? And what happens if you serve and appreciate a Vaishnava, and what happens if you criticize? So, so that's the other reason, that's the other answer to the question, how is it that you Prabhupada disciples surrendered so much? Well, if you fulfill the desire of a pure devotee, and you can, of course, you can do this now also, if you fulfill the desire of a pure devotee, and that pure devotee is pleased, automatically you make advancement, like you don't have to do anything else. It's like, that's the elevator, you know. Maybe we can call this class taking the elevator back to Krishna. But that's the elevator. So the, the concept of the elevator is once you get in, you make no effort. And so how did you get led into the elevator? Well, you did something to please the pure devotee automatically. He says, okay, elevator, next floor. So you, you get up to the next floor and you're feeling really blissful. You ever have that experience? You know, you're just feeling really blissful really detached. Well, you won't feel blissful if you're not detached. They go together. You're feeling really blissful. You're feeling really detached. And it's like you don't know why. Or your, your rounds are really good and everything is good and you, and you don't know why. Well, that's one of the reasons why. You've pleased a pure devotee. Krishna's pleased. Krishna says, ten mercy points for you. And the point is that we advance by mercy. We don't advance by our own effort. We have to make effort. But ultimately, the effort is pleasing to Guru and Krishna, and that's why we make advancement. Not just because we did the service or we did the sadhana, but because we're doing it in the mood of bhakti, and our, guru, our gurus are pleased, then that's how we make advancement. So that's a little insider's secret today, how to become Christian. The other insider's secret is chant good rounds. You want to win the race back to Godhead? Chant good rounds. You'll be in the lead, guaranteed. Automatic, if you chant good rounds, automatically put you in front of the pack of those trying to go back to Krishna. And as long as you don't offend a devotee, and you serve the devotees, and you always appreciate and want their mercy, you'll do really well. So I think that's an important point. Bhaktivinoda Thakur is praying. Praying to Yogamaya for the mercy of the Vaishnavas and 
saying that only by their mercy can I become Krishna conscious. So mercy is mercy is an interesting it's an interesting topic because you can't you can't see mercy. You can't like put it on a shelf. Well, the books are mercy. Prabhupada's instructions are mercy, but <coughs> it's not something that you can taste and smell and measure. But you can see the results of it, and you can experience the results of it. And it's so important in Krishna consciousness to to understand. Our dependency is very important because it keeps us humble. Understand, yeah, I am, I could do this. No matter how Krishna conscious you are, you couldn't have done, you couldn't have got this far without Sangha. No matter how difficult it is to get along with devotees, no matter how much you don't like certain devotees, we could not advance without the devotees, even the ones we don't like. Imagine... <laughs> Okay, this is not going to happen. But imagine there's some disaster in the world and the only devotees remaining on the planet are the ones you don't like. Like maybe you're ultra-liberal and they're all, it's only the ultra-conservatives live and they go, see, we were right. Or you're ultra-conservative and only liberals lived. Um, and they say, see, it's all your fault, conservatives. Well, just imagine, right? You think, okay. Now, only, only the only devotees left are the ones I don't like. What would you do? You, you would realize, I am alive in Krishna consciousness because of the devotees I don't like. I need the devotees, even the ones I don't like. I need them because I can't do this on my own. It's impossible. We have to really get that. Because when when you get that, your appreciation for devotees increases. Like I I really don't get along so well with this devotee. We think differently. I mean, he's a nice devotee, he's a nice person, but we're we're just different. Yet I need his association. I don't know. You know, sometimes you go to the. T I've seen this in some temples. Not a lot of devotees go to Mangalarti. And so the leaders think, well, how can we get more devotees to go? And we say, well, we need to get more devotees to go to get more devotees to go because if nobody goes, nobody goes. Kind of that, I, I'm sure you've seen that scenario. How do we get more? We'll get more because that will get more. But how do you get the more initially? Well, you have to have more to get, it's hard to get the initial devotees, you say, please come, because if you come, more people will come. And so the, the temple reforms itself, and maybe a quarter of the devotees were coming to Mangalartik, and now they've got it up to 50, 60, and then the rest, 30 or 40, they start coming because more than half the devotees are there. Have you seen that before, and vice versa? Once you go to Mangalartik, oh, nobody goes, nobody cares, nobody's there, why should they go? They'll be the only one leading Kirtan. Better I sleep till eight o'clock. You know what? What's the problem? So um, at least I've seen that scenario. So then more devotees start going, and you know you go to bed late. You don't want to get up early, and you're thinking, all oh, the devotees are there. I have to go. They're expecting me, right? 
And maybe I don't like those devotees. Maybe they're, they're just not my cup of tea, so to speak. But they're all there. I feel obliged I should go. So because of them, I'm going. So when you, when you realize how much you need the devotees, how much your Krishna consciousness depends on them, then you're less likely to criticize even if you don't like their style or their attitude so much, but you'll still appreciate. You're a devotee. By your association, I become Krishna conscious. I need your association. So that's really, really important to understand, but more important to remember in our interaction, you know, how valuable this association is. And like I said in the beginning, some people may live aloof from Vaishnavas and they may be doing okay, but without that advanced association, you won't get beyond okay, really. And so that's why I was, um, I was listening. I had some, I have a hobby and this is a really interesting, interesting hobby, and I don't know if I should recommend it for you because it might, I don't know, might be unsettling a little bit. But I have a hobby. I search for lectures from the 1980s by gurus just to kind of hone in on the consciousness of the movement and what's being preached. And so this is, I, I was listening to one a guru. He's not a guru now former guru, lectures from 1980. And so he was probably like 31 or 32 years old and had been a devotee probably like 12 years. Maybe 12 at the most, maybe less. Maybe, maybe only 10 years or nine years. And it was amazing it was amazing to hear how articulate and learned and realized he was. I mean, he said a few things which today he regrets having said and would like to edit them out of that lecture. But he said so many, so many things which were just, you know, things of the devotees that 50-year-old devotees would say today. And isn't that interesting? And this devotee was very close to Prabhupada. And the other thing was the spirit, the spirit of, of saving the world, the compassionate spirit was just overflowing in his lecture. So I was listening to it and I was saying, yeah, this is like Prabhupada's the sunshine and he's reflecting that sun. So he's, he's reflecting Prabhupada's mood. Exactly. And so by that sangha, with Srila Prabhupada, by so much sangha, he's just, he's almost like Prabhupada's shadow. And he was, he was an amazing, amazing understanding of Krishna consciousness already. Um, then I watched another video, which was a really interesting one. Now you're, you're going to all want to watch this when I tell you. One of our, well, I don't know if you should watch it, but for me, it's interesting from a sociological perspective to just kind of get perspective on where we were and where we've come and if we're still stuck in some misunderstandings we had in the 80s. We haven't really fully progressed out of them, but one of the, the gurus had broken 
one of the principals and it came to light. And so a couple of the GBC men went into his zone to speak to his disciples about how to move forward. And this, this was, I believe, 1986-ish or 85, 84, 85. So that made them about late 30s, and that made them devotees for like 15 years. An incredibly mature conversation. And in both of these, the main thing I saw was just this fidelity and chastity to Prabhupada. It was just outstanding. This is what Prabhupada wanted. This is what he said. This is what we have to do. He told us this. Didn't tell us to do that. So this is how you make advancement. You have this fidelity to Prabhupada's instructions. And you're always trying to understand what is it that he wanted? What is it that he didn't want? Of course, you learn from your gurus also. But that fidelity to the mission, to the instruction, that's where all the mercy lies. In case you didn't know, if you need more mercy, it, it lies in understanding, okay, what is it that Prabhupada wanted? How did he want it done? How can we do it to please him? And then you do that, and then you, then all of a sudden you feel, oh, I'm feeling very detached. I'm feeling very Krishna conscious. That's how it works. Um, in in reading the, the the book on the life of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, I could see that that chastity that Prabhupada had for Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, how he did things, how he understood things, and all the innovations Prabhupada made which Srila Bhakti Siddhanta didn't make, these are new ones, it was all in line with the thinking of Bhakti Siddhanta and Prabhupada could explain it, justify it, quote-unquote justify it, through the teachings of Bhakti Siddhanta, that's why he did it. It wasn't haphazard. And so you see this like, right, that strict line, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta said this, therefore I did this. He said that, therefore I adjusted this based on this principle. And I was like, that's where the mercy lies, that, that alignment and chastity with the order of the guru. And, you know, just not, not only the order, but the feeling, the mission. Like, you know the heart. You know what he wants. You know what pleases him. And then you connect with that heartbeat and then you execute that seva. Then you get mercy. And then when you get mercy, you're on the elevator going up and you just go up. It just happens naturally. Okay, so I'm going to go back and see what you've said. Today you're allowed to write a lot because we have nothing else, I mean, nothing else on this topic to read. I can read something on other topics, but... Okay. Satya Rupa says, what about devotees who unknowingly offend devotees or get offended easily? Oh, okay. They can't be Krishna conscious. You once said it's better not to associate than to associate with offenses. Well, you know, because you're talking about devotees in general, then there can be diff different reasons why this happens. Um, so let's, let's dissect your question, maybe expand it beyond your intentions, or what you're asking. What about devo devotees who unknowingly offend devotees? 
So unknowingly offended, or you say, or get offended easily, we unknowingly, it's, uh, it's easy to offend someone who gets offended easily. And it's easy to be offended by someone if we get offended easily. So it is true that we suffer when we offend devotees, but also in our, in our scripture that it makes a distinction between conscious, like, like, like something you could control. Like, I can control whether I offend you or not. But if I'm nice to you and you get offended, I don't have control of that because I, I didn't do anything wrong. I just didn't do it the way you wanted it done. And sometimes people get offended because we don't do something. Like they expect us to do something. So from my angle of vision, well, I, I didn't do anything. I know, I know I didn't do something you wanted, but I didn't proactively go out and offend you. So my offense to you was often unknown to me or inadvertent. So they make a distinction, but it's still an offense. But, you know, if I inadvertently offend you, it's a lot easier to resolve that than if I consciously offend you. If I go, I mean, I specifically go out of my way to offend you and tell other people about you. Whereas if I, you know, I just didn't do something you expected me to do, and you take offense for that, it's not going to affect me as much as if I purposely offended you. And uh, look at it this way also. If you get offended easily, knowing that if you do something, no, let's use you as an example. If I do something to you, no, don't take me as your spiritual master. It's just if I was a, a, another devotee and I did something and you got upset, but you realized you got upset because you're very sensitive, then, then you should think, if I get upset, then that becomes an offense that this devotee's making. If I don't take it as an offense, what he, and what he did was not really an offense, then Krishna won't take it as an offense then my service to that devotee is not to take it as an offense. Now, if Krishna takes it as an offense, even if you don't, that, that doesn't entirely solve the problem. If, if the person asks for forgiveness, you give that forgiveness, he apologizes, you accept it, then it amends that. But initially, if Krishna, you know, you may say, it's okay, and Krishna says, nah, it's not okay. <laughs> That's a problem. But, What's in our control is whether we take offense or not. So if someone does something to you and you take offense, now they have to suffer because they've offended a Vaishnava. When in fact, they didn't. If they did offend a Vaishnava, then even if you don't take offense, there's some suffering. But if they really didn't, and a lot of times this happens where some devotee does something, we take offense, but it really wasn't an offense. It was just us taking offense. So then we want to think, okay, so should I take offense because it's not good for him? And if I don't take offense, it's good for him. So is that what you were asking? They can't be Krishna conscious. Oh, um, you're saying the people who are offended easily can't be Krishna conscious or the people who 
offend the person who's offended easily can't be Krishna conscious. They both can be Krishna conscious, but it's harder. I mean, everybody can be Krishna conscious, but you don't, you don't want to contaminate your Krishna consciousness with behaviors or attitudes that are going to slow it down or make it difficult. So if you take offense easily, you can be Krishna conscious, it'll be harder. And if I offend you unknowingly, and you take offense, it'll be harder for me. It'll slow me down a bit. It's not going to stop me, but it'll slow me down to some degree. You, you know, you know those days when you're trying to chant and you just can't control your mind? It could be connected to some behavior towards another Vaishnava, even, a, even an attitude towards another Vaishnava. It's possible. Did that answer your question, Sadhguru? And because we're not on Zoom, she can't answer until I go through five other comments, by which time we will have forgotten what we're talking about. So, but you could make a sign, right, Satyarupa? Like a thumbs up or thumbs down. And if it's a thumbs down, it just means you want to ask more, which is fine. The sun is coming in the room. Beautiful. Beautiful. See, the sun's coming in out of the window. Isn't that amazing? You don't even know where I am, do you? You think I'm in Japan, don't you? I didn't tell you. I flew to Japan. This is... I'm staying at a hotel. Hotel Zen. No, I'm not. I'm still in Alachua. Okay. I don't see any emoticons. Um, maybe you throw them, but I don't see them on my screen for some reason. Christe says, I was going to pronounce your last name, but I shied away. But it looks like I can't see. Shaiti. Norvai. Norvai Shaiti. Shaiti. No, it couldn't be pronounced like that. By pleasing Prabhupada, we are pleasing you, Guru Maharaj, and by pleasing you, we please Prabhupada, right? Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not pleased by something Prabhupada wouldn't be pleased by. But, um, yeah. Please Prabhupada, you please everybody. Yeah. That's the idea. But, we're not supposed to just think, oh, well, I'll just please my spiritual master and not worry about what Prabhupada wants. But we should think also, you know, what does Prabhupada want? And then you write me and say, I was thinking of doing this service because Prabhupada said this, and I think that would really be good, and I think he'd really want it. Yeah, that's nice. You can think like that. should think like that. So Jyotirmaya says, Sometimes I feel the necessity to take out of myself some things that I don't like or disapprove in Krishna consciousness. But I know that I cannot criticize. So there is this marvelous devotee friend of mine. I call her my consciousness. She's much more advanced. 
than me, and I know that she doesn't criticize. So I call her, tell her what I have in my heart, and she takes me down to earth, explaining points that I haven't seen. And it works well. Power of association. Yeah, because sometimes we treat ourselves badly, and sometimes we treat ourselves worse than anyone else would treat us, isn't it? Like, give her, like, berate yourself, you're, why did you do that, that was so bad, etc. Like, but none of our friends would say that. I mean, general, I'm sure you might have some friend that would say that, or, you know, husband or wife would say that, but, but generally, the consistency and depth of it, it's usually we, we're worse than anybody else would be on us. So I like that. That's nice. She helps you see it in a different way. You know, okay, we have to take a word from our sponsor. We're, today we're sponsored by Anarthas. Anarthas show up everywhere, even when you don't want them. But Anarthas are okay because they are what they are, and Krishna consciousness is more powerful than your Anarthas. So recognize them, work on them, and then don't worry about them. Chant, dance, take prasadam, and be happy. That was our commercial is now over. All right. You know, devotees write me and they say, I have a Narthas, I don't know what to do. Like, hello, join the club, you know. Uh, that's why we're here in the material world. If we didn't have any Narthas, we wouldn't be here. It's like, what's the big shock? Oh, I found another one. Oh, it's so ugly. Well, you got a lot more ugly ones you haven't found yet, so, you know, brace yourself. Brace yourself for the ride. At least you're finding them, you know. It's like after a million lifetimes, you didn't find them, so congratulations. Now you're finding them. Well, you made them, so if you made them, you can unmake them, right? I mean, like, who are you going to blame on the Anarthas? Well, you blame yourself. Yeah, I made these, I cultivated them, I'm so bad. You're not so great and you're not so bad. You just are trying to be a devotee. And when you become a pure devotee, you will be very great. But you So if um, you can't hear it now, I have no idea why. Because all the settings are properly set. So... I'm going to chant, and if you can hear me, just let me know. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Okay, you can hear it's not going to sound as good as before because I have very good audio, but it's something. So, so we we were when we left when we got cut off when electricity went out. It's interesting. The electricity has gone out, except it hasn't gone out there. Hmm. Like that light has its own shock to you or something. It's amazing.
Life is amazing. Try to figure this out. Everything went out except one light. One, so all the other sockets went out except that one. Okay, I didn't go to electrical school, but it seems like that plug is on another line and that line went out. And it's not, we're not even in India. This is an even more amazing, we're in America. Okay, so, um, so we'll get to your questions in a minute. So, so we're talking about anarthas. I don't like them, they're ugly makes me feel bad, makes me feel ashamed. Well, might as well get used to it because these anarthas were cult carefully, cult carefully cultivated for many lifetimes. So now we want to get rid of them. How do you get rid of a habit that you've cultivated for years? Takes time, right? Yeah, so take your time, be patient. Take your time, be patient, and uh, just keep trucking away, as we say in America. See, here's the thing. The thing is, your Narthas don't have the power to stop you. You give them the power to stop you. If you say, oh, I'm so this, I'm so that. Now you're giving energy to that problem, and then that problem is getting worse. Whereas if you just think, okay, I have an arthas, but they're nothing, these are material things, Krishna consciousness is spiritual. It's more powerful, so these anarthas can't do anything. You have to think like that. And if you think like that, they're just, whatever, they're just there, you know, but not going to prevent you from being Krishna conscious. But if you focus on them, that's when you have the problem. Because then, it's like by focusing on them, it's kind of like you empower them to affect you. I'm so this, I'm so that, and you know, why should I even try? What's the use? I've tried before. You know, that doesn't work. And, you know, I don't have any determination. Anyway, I can't control my mind. And, you know, and I'll never be humble. Come on, I'm so puffed up. You know, and I'm so attached to my body, you know, I get the right prasadam, and I don't sleep enough, I go crazy, and, and on and on and on. So what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? How bad the anarthas are. So then what happens? You know, then they start having a bad effect. Where... You can try this experiment. If they come up, if you become conscious of them, just deal with it and move on. Like, okay, what am I going to do about it? And move on and do whatever it is you have to do about it. Then you'll be fine. And you'll realize, if I have big anarthas, little anarthas, lots of them, not a lot, ultimately it's inconsequential if I focus on devotional service. So that's how you have to take it. It's not a, you know, it's not a big thing. Like, like I, I just have this instinct that at some point in the future, 
cancer well I, cancer will be like you know like um, some kind of disease where you just take you know medicine for a week or two and it goes away all the doctors you got cancer and say oh we'll just take this you should be fine in a few weeks right okay and then you know people heard you know well, back in 2021 people used to die of cancer but this is hundreds of years in the future and my cancer is like you know, it's like a bad cold or something. You get some pain in your body and you know, whatever. So, you know, if we use that as a scenario, as an example, then look at the anartha like a cancer. There's a pill for it. So, I got a cancer, take the pill, you know. Should I stay back from work? No, go to work, no problem, you'll be fine. Okay, I have this anartha. Should I stop, you know, chanting my rounds? Should I just give up? No, 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 just... Do devotional service, just take 16 pills pills a day, follow four principles. Yeah, it'll go away, don't worry about it. It's not going to be a problem. That's how you have to see it. And to see it any other way is to give energy to it. Does that make sense? Uh, okay, we have some more questions. Anandita has an interesting question. When we get offended, but the other person thinks they were not offensive, is it a sign that we are experiencing a state of imbalance because our values are not in alignment with the statement that we felt was offensive to us? It could be. Could be other reasons. Should we respect our emotions when we get offended? Well, you see, there's two things. One thing is to get offended, and one thing is to stay offended. So, sometimes we just get offended because, as I say, there can be many reasons, some valid and some not valid, some very personal, personal sensitivities that are being that are being offended, which if you didn't have those personal sensitivities, you wouldn't get offended. So that, so that's there. So sometimes it just happens. You, you don't have any control of it. It just shows up. But then the point is, now what do you do once it's there? Do you try to resolve it, dissolve it, neutralize it, or do you act it out? So, okay, you know, it's like, this. I feel this way. I feel that I was offended. But do I want to act that way? Do I want to continue to feel that way? Will that help me, that feeling? Does it empower me? I'm sure you could say in some cases it does, but that would probably be the exception. So I think one of the, one of the easiest ways that I've ever discovered to overcome any kind of pro potential problem such as upset, anger, speaking or doing the wrong thing, is to, it's just to clearly understand that, what is that whatever is happening to you, it's going to affect you based on how you process it. And sometimes we process things in a way that we actually drive ourselves crazy by how we look at that situation or by how much we dwell on it. So if you really want to be generous to yourself, 
then if you process things in a Krishna conscious way, it will give you tremendous pleasure and happiness. But if you process things in a negative way, then you have to suffer constantly because of that. How could they do that? That was so bad. And then you dwell on it, and you, you know, and your righteous mind dwells on it. That was so unjust, you know, this and that, and the next thing. And the consequence is you suffer, and that suffering could have been prevented by you. Okay, I feel offended, but now let's work on it. Let's understand why. And let's try to neutralize it. Otherwise, I'm polluting myself. Okay, he said something or did something, and it did offend me, but do I want to pollute myself now by dwelling on it? And, and unless we practice we practice reacting in a better way, we'll never we'll never understand how valuable it is to react properly. And we'll just go with our natural instincts and then we'll stay with them. So it's kind of like it's kind of like okay, let let's use this example. Somebody says something to you, Anandita, and you get upset. And now you ask yourself the question, do I want to stay upset? Is it going to help me being upset? Is it, is it going to disturb me if I, if I remain upset? Like, what, what do I want to do? So, and knowing that you can decide. I, I know for some of you are saying, I don't think I can decide. But knowing that you can, maybe... Maybe you don't think you can do it now, but just know potent and you have the potential to decide, or you have the freedom to decide how you want to progress with that. So um, I find that if you become aware of what I would call self-torture, if you become aware of how some of your responses to what's going on in the world are self-torturous, and you don't have to torture yourself, you don't want to torture yourself, why, why would I want to torture myself that way? No, but you need to get back at him, Anandita. What he said was wrong, get back at him. And you say, why do I want to dwell on this? Because you're right and he's wrong. Yeah, but, but to prove that I'm right, I have to go through hell and pollute myself and disturb myself. Why, why, I don't need to do that. That's, that's the thought. And if you develop that consciousness, then it's possible you may not even get upset in the first place because you started, you become inclined not to being upset. It's a, it's a much better way to live, don't you think? Like if you, had, if you had a choice to be upset or not be upset, and I said, well, which one would you be? You'd say, well, of course, I, I wouldn't be upset. Well, I just wanted to say you have the choice. And it's a better way to live. In, in materially, spiritually, emotionally, on every level, it's a better way to live. And if we're always reacting very negatively, it it negatively impacts our health. It negatively impacts us psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. So what value does it have? Even if you're right and they're wrong, but the consequence or the the, the ramification of proving yourself right is that you dwell in hell for weeks and weeks of, of hatred and resentment towards this person, what's the point? Our, the point is we're trying to purify ourselves 
We didn't come into this world to prove that we're right and prove somebody wrong. We came into this world to purify ourselves. So this is just Maya's trick, you know, to, to distract you and get your consciousness off of Krishna by upsetting you by what someone says and does. Now, the other thing I would say, Anandita, is if we take something personally or we take this as offensive, then another thing we have to ask ourselves is, was it really offensive or was I just taking offense? Would another person be offended by this very statement? That question should be asked. Would another person be offended by this statement? That's an interesting question. And if I weren't offended by this statement, how would that impact my life? Would, would I be a lose? Would I lose out? You'll say, well, he has to be stopped. You don't have to be offended to stop him. And you think, no, if I'm not angry, I won't do anything. No, that's not true. If you have a sense of justice, right and wrong, you'll do what's necessary to resolve the situation. Right? Of course you will. You don't have to be angry to do it. Better you're not angry. So, it's important. This important. This is that is basic. Okay, but the last thing I want to say, Nandita, is that if you're ever offended by someone, ask yourself, why? Why was I offended? Well, I was expecting him to do A and he did B, or he didn't do A, he didn't do anything. Okay, that wasn't good, that wasn't right, but why? Everyone can say, that was wrong, but not everyone will be offended. So why specifically am I getting offended by that behavior where everybody says it's wrong, but not everyone else is offended when that person treats them that way? There's a reason. You want to discover that reason. Well, he said he was going to do this, but he didn't, and that's why I'm offended. Well, I know he said he wasn't going to do this, and he did it, but I'm not offended. So why you, not me? You ever have you have some issue with trust and betrayal? Well, actually, I do. Yeah, because well, well, what happened? Well, I had this relationship, and he ran off with another woman. So okay. All right, so now we know why you're sensitive. Maybe he didn't do anything wrong. It just triggered a past memory or an emotional experience that's still in your body, and that's how you're reacting. So a lot of times you might say, well, this is all a bunch of psychology, blah, blah, blah. Most of the time, or many times, that's why we're reacting. Especially if another person's in the same situation and they're not reacting, then there's a sp some specific sensitivity that I have that's reacting to the situation and that's why I'm upset and it's good to know that because then you ask yourself okay what is the sensitivity that you pinpoint it why does it exist can I do something to detach to heal to transcend to destroy it in some way so that in my future encounters with people it's not going to come up because if this, if you have a trust issue and you got upset because a person promised something and he didn't deliver, probably means every time that happens with anybody, you're going to get upset. Wouldn't it be nice to work through it so that when people don't promise what they promised, you won't get upset? Yeah, it would be better, wouldn't it? Materially, emotionally, physically, 
intellectually, spiritually, ego-wise, consciousness-wise, every level would be, it would be better, wouldn't it? Of course it would. So when you think that way and you, know, you feel like, I want to retaliate, this kind of thinking can just like hit a wall, stop, and it's like, well, why? He's just, you know, this is a waste of time. I've done it before. Takes me down a dark path. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of my consciousness. It's a waste of space in my heart. I could put something better. So you want to put this person in your heart now and throw arrows at them? Is that what you want to do? I don't think you want to do that, but you have to think like that to understand. If I take this to its logical conclusion and I feel offended and I respond, then uh, I'm going to shoot arrows. I'm going to put this person in my heart and shoot arrows at him. So then Anandita says, well, but what if I feel like this? Okay, feel it and work on it and don't do anything and then work to let it go. And you know, I think some of the best advice I can give you and all of you is when you have that feeling, whatever it is, let's say it will use the example of betrayal. So let's say you have the feeling of betrayal. Okay. Forget the person who betrays you and just focus on the emotion of betrayal and purifying it. Because when you get rid of the person, then you realize it's an issue I have of betrayal. The person is not part of this anymore. They just activated it. That's the issue. Forget the person, work on the issue, it's very easy. Because then it's, you don't have to deal with the person. It's a lot easier. Does that make sense? Get rid of the person, just work on the issue. That's the problem. Right? Uh, I pronounced her name perfectly. Christie's name perfectly. That's because I must have been Lithuanian at one more time. Okay, Marco's question or statement. Does the fact of serving and satisfying advanced devotees and thus receiving their blessings, thereby making spiritual advancement, depend on past pious activities? Or Sukriti, or is it special mercy of Krishna? It depends on you, Marco. Well, of course, the mercy of Krishna, then you get their association, and it's the mercy you give yourself if you take advantage of it. How to interpret the fact that some people who apparently have no qualification make rapid progress? and are naturally brought into the service of devotees while others who have been dedicated to sadhana for many years remain still stuck? Oh, that's a complicated question. Is it a question of how sincere we are? Could be. Is it a matter of luck? No. Or all, there's no, no luck. Um, you know, we're all dealing with past karma. The best, you know, the best way to answer this question is to, is to ask another question. If I feel the way you describe, even in the association of advanced devotees, then what should I do about it? How do I deal with it? That's the question. Because as soon as you make an assumption, well, it must be that I have bad samskaras or bad karma or whatever, then if that's your conclusion, why would you try? And my thinking on this is, if I hit a dead end, then I think, well, how are we going to get around the wall? You know, do we go right, left, then go up a block and turn around? Rather than thinking, oh, a wall, I'm such bad luck. Everywhere I go, walls just come up. You know, what sin did I do in my last life? You know, I must have knocked down a wall. Now the wall is chasing me. 
Don't think like that. That's not the proper attitude. The attitude is, I need the association of the devotees. I need to take advantage of Krishna consciousness. And if it's hard, if there are walls in the way, I need to figure out how to get around them. That's, that's all you need to think. Any other thinking like this, why, maybe I was impious, maybe he's more pious, maybe he did devotional service, maybe in my last life I killed somebody and now I have to, no. Prabhupada never explained it that way. Philosophically, you could say, yeah, your past samskaras karma makes it hard for you. Yeah, that's a philosophical point. We could say that. But Prabhupada, when asked these questions, it was always just come down to be intelligent and take the association, take advantage of it. That's how he wanted us to understand it. And I think that's the most practical, progressive way to understand it. Or why? Why doesn't he take, and he takes, but I don't take? Just take it. Don't don't even worry. Just start taking it. That's the right answer. So we have a comment. Is this from you, Anuradha, or somebody else? I feel so inspired for the way you treat others, and when I am dealing with other devotees, I always think, what will my Guru do in this situation? Once in Bhagavatam class, a devotee asked, how can we be kind with everyone even if we don't feel like it? Maybe follow, following the footsteps. Footsteps. Oh, footsteps. You can eat what I eat also, following the footsteps of our gurus. Yeah. Because, you know, example, what's so good about example is example shows other people how to act, and it shows other people it's possible to act that way. And it, you know, it gives us encouragement that if I become Krishna conscious, then I can act that way also. We, we should be kind when we don't feel like it. We should always be kind. So that's the key, you know, how can I do it when I don't feel like it? Because I do it because I know this is what I am supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to be as a devotee. So even, I, you know, it's like getting up to this morning, it was like, uh, it was like 34 degrees in the morning or something like that. You know, we go to the temple and we have to leave the doors open. So, you know, I go to bed like 10 o'clock, 10-ish, a little after 10. Alarm goes off at 4. My body is, could definitely sleep more than 6 hours, no problem. Not always, but generally it can sleep more than 6. Like after 6 is enough, almost. Not enough that I may not fall asleep during japa, but you know, it's enough to basically function, at least for a while. But my body really says... You really could use more, right? Okay, so last night I went, to, you know, sometimes I'm lucky I go to bed earlier. Last night I went to bed at 10. And then got up at 4, and I knew it was about 34 degrees outside, which is, in centigrade, it's like 1 degree. And the temple doors are going to be open. And it's kind of like, kind of cold like you know and the house is 
kind of warm. So, you know, how do I feel? I feel like you know, it would be a lot easier to just stay home. If I stay home, maybe I could catch another half hour of rest. I'd be a little better off in the day. But that's just a feeling, Anandita. And then I think of Prabhupada saying, you should go to Mangalarti. And I get out of bed and I get ready. And I don't take a warm shower. I use cool water. Because I'm one cool Prabhu, right? I use, I'm a cool Prabhu because I use cool water in the morning. So, that's how it works. You know, I feel so many things, but what's the right thing to do? So, we want to train ourselves that way. And I know, I know for a lot of us, we're not trained that way. We're trained to do what we feel like doing. That's what we've always done our whole life. And especially Americans, they hate to be restricted. This is what I want to do, don't restrict me. We've had a lot of trouble in America restricting people. They don't like it. Why do I have to wear a mask? Why can't I just go out and do this and that? I'm tired of staying home. Some other countries, you won't have that problem. They just, they do it. They're a little more disciplined by culture. So many of us, you know, we're not, we're not used to, like, restricting our feelings and then rising above them with proper actions. But sometimes that's just all you can do. I feel, you know, what I feel like telling you probably right now, I don't say that. It's going on in my head, and then I say, you know, I, want, I, I must behave the way Prabhupada would want me to. That's what I must do. So even though I don't, I was offended, upset, I'm feeling angry, or whatever I'm feeling, I don't respond that way. I act properly. So that's, that's the idea. So beautiful, sister. You reminded me how yesterday I thought that Gomash takes care of all of us. Like children, and we all vibrate that love outwards enthusiastically serving on the team. Dreaming bigger every single day. Doing our few priests, by example. And all of you. It's hard to read this. It's about me. And all of us reciprocate by coexisting as a big united family, embracing the whole globe. Um, with a reflection of your love. Well, I definitely am conscious that what I do is an example, and especially what I do is what I want you to do, and I don't want you to think only I can do it. Yeah, that's all I'll say. Um, thank you for that, whoever wrote that, I don't know, it doesn't say. Maybe that was Christine. Okay, everyone, it's time to wake up. We have a controversial question from the one and only Krishna Karshan. Who else would ask such controversial questions? Keep the flow and the interest. As soon as Krishna Karshan asks her controversial question, we get ten more questions. I'm going to stay here an extra half hour. Okay, the controversial question with seven minutes left. I don't know how it's going to work out. At the beginning of Krishna consciousness, we see our gurus as perfect in everything. But in due course of time, especially often when we are close, 
we're starting to see that our girl is not alpha and omega in all areas of life. Sometimes she is making mistakes. You mean materially making mistakes. How to process it when we see our girl making a mistake. How to understand it. How to not start to offend. By the way, Gomorrah, I'm not talking about you. I know you're not talking about me because I don't make any mistakes. I know how to be another girl. Um, yeah, well, there's different ways to answer this question. I remember sometimes Prabhupada would quote a verse, but it was actually two verses. And it was, he was taking one line from one verse and one line from another verse. And he got it mixed up. So that's a mistake. My Guru got a verse mixed up. Or he'd be quoting a verse and he would say, what is that verse? He'd forget. My Guru forgot. Mistake. So does that mean he's not a pure devotee? No. Um, Prabhupada would try different preaching strategies and some would work and some wouldn't. And sometimes he'd say, stop this program, it's not working, or now we want to do a new program. And they asked Prabhupada, why you like you telling this us? You're like, why didn't you just tell us all of this five years ago? Now it's like evolving. He said, because Krishna hadn't revealed it to me five years ago. He's, he said, Krishna's revealing in kind of the way I understood it. Krishna's revealing in real time what to do next. Isn't that funny? So That that is not a cause for disrespecting, especially if the guru is is acknowledging. Yeah, I'm I'm not materially perfect. I can make mistakes. Um, if you believe specifically something is going to affect your service, and your guru has told you to do something that you think is improper, then you express that to him. I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't think this is right. Um, if it's a philosophical point, then you. Hmm. It, it's this is really difficult. Because we're living in a multi-guru society, so you may hear a class by your guru saying one thing, and a class by another guru or another senior devotee saying another thing, and you may like the other thing better than what your guru said. You may want to talk to him about it. I believe women should be guru, my guru doesn't. I don't believe women should be guru, my guru does. I disagree with him on that. Talk to him about it. It's not, you know, you're my guru, you're absolute, I'm supposed to follow you. But at the same time, we want to cultivate a, you know, more of a family atmosphere. A lot of decisions we come to in ISKCON are are made after many, many years of discussion, discussion by many, many devotees, and then sometimes the guru will change his mind. So those are things we have to maturely take into consideration. The main thing is to, to maintain one's respect and service attitude towards the guru. And generally, the guru is not going to be making mistakes, you know, a hundred mistakes a day. Like, how can I accept him? He makes a hundred... It's not like that. But it's not the guru's job qualification to be perfect materially. 
that's not, but his qualification is that people who come in his presence become devotees. That's his main qualification. So then you might say, but I don't have access to my guru to ask him these questions. Then ask somebody else that you have access to. What about this? My guru made a mistake. How should I think about it? That's the best I can do for now. It doesn't circuit breaker, right? I think so. But why circuit breaker? There's like no lightning or anything. Old building, almost 20 years old. You and Arthas don't have the power to stop you. Give them the power there to stop you. Don't give them the power to stop you. You give them the power. Yeah, that's it. Anandita, can you email that to me? Then I can do a daily video on that. I don't have a paper here with me to write it down. Would that be okay? Your Narthas don't have the... All of you should do that. If I say anything that you think would be a good topic for daily video, then send it to me. Because I know there's a lot of good things that come up in these classes. I don't note them and I don't remember them. And when you send it to me, what would really help is explain a little of what I said so I remember it. Because if I, I finally do the video two weeks from now, I... What was I saying? What was the context? I forget. So if you give me some context, a few other things I said. I like that. Your Narthas don't have the power to stop you. You give them the power to stop. That's great. I could give a whole workshop just on that idea. So then, then so we would follow up this statement and, say, and ask all of you, well, what are you giving a Narthas power to stop you? If so, which ones? Then, you know, it's always an interesting question to ask why. If I'm doing something that's not Krishna conscious, like, why am I doing that? It's a good question. Sadhirupa says, I read something by a Prabhupada disciple where Prabhupada said his Guru Maharaj wrote his books only for Prabhupada. He did not want his disciples to understand his books. That's a difficult language. Prabhupada said this in response to a devotee who wanted to read books from the Gaudiya Mats. Um, I never heard that before. We were always told he wrote in a sophisticated language to attract sophisticated people, scholars and so forth. I mean, his language is difficult even for someone whose English is their first language. So I don't know if you can send me that reference. I've never heard that business. It's not what we've heard, the reasons that he wrote that way. At least from his disciples, that's how they explained it. Coaches are saying, this is Krishna question, we should not believe in every thought we have. I believe it's relating to feeling offended also. Don't believe in everything you feel. Most cases, it's just our interpretation of what happened. Some other person in the same situation, that's how it goes. Yeah. Did I say that or you said that? 
we both see that. Avi Krishna says, you said that when we are not thinking about Krishna, it's better to think about nothing rather than thinking about anything else. But when we are engaged in our materialistic duties, unknowingly our mind deviates away. Maybe it's dealing with difficult people and all the stress from work makes us feel and think this way. It feels like I'm back at square one. That's why Buddhism is so popular. Stop thinking. How to not feel this way and how uh, we stay immune from all this. Mm. All this means dealing with difficult people. All this. It's I can't explain much now because we're ending class, but everything is about how you process it. Because it's just coming to you, and it's coming to me, it's coming to him, it's coming to her, and we're all processing it. So it's like, it's like what's your processing chip doing to what's coming in? Is it just magnifying the problem? magnifying your anger, magnifying your stress, or does it process it in a way that you can, it, you, it can create compassion in you, it can create, create empathy in you, it can create presence in you so that you deal with it in a better way. Because a lot of what you're describing is, it's a, it's a re angry response to a situation, or a stressful response. And if you if you add compassion to the equation, it could neutralize all those problems. So why don't we just leave it at that for now, and try that out, and let me know how it goes. You know, more understanding of people, more kindness, more compassion, understanding their struggles, and so forth, and see if that helps. And Chita says, I think everyone has that very switch that triggers such sensitivity. It's very important to observe. What that switch is, because it is most likely what is needed to be healed. Yeah, it's really easy to know, because all you have to do is ask, "What happened? Why did I get upset?" And said, "Well, because he didn't understand me, or because he wasn't loyal, um, or because he didn't do what I expected." Well, what did you expect? It's these things. Well, what did you expect? Or, or, or was it betrayal? Was it this or that? That's the issue. It was the very thing. You said, why did you get upset? Because he did this. Well, how did that make you feel? Well, I felt this way. That's the sensitivity, whatever that feeling was. Or I felt betrayed. I felt misunderstood. I felt abused. Oh, so you have an issue around abuse. I felt rejected. You have an issue around rejection. Hello? Yes, you do. Because he didn't feel rejected. She didn't feel rejected. He felt offended, and she felt betrayed. Oh, I think we all have different issues. Yeah, so that's, if you learn that, and you understand that, then you won't allow that issue to enter the equation in the future. And when it does, you realize, oh, that's why I feel this way. It's because, because I have this need to be understood, and people don't understand me. I, I just get really upset. I'm like, well, let's figure out why, what's going on here, and let's deal with that. Because I don't want to get upset. It's, it's not, I didn't come, I didn't come into the Krishna conscious movement so I can get upset at people at the office. That's not, it's not what I'm learning from Bhagavad Gita at all. 
Bhagavad Gita is teaching me I can go to the office where people are being killed and I cannot be stressed out. So I'm sure your office isn't that as bad as a battlefield. The mercy of Chaitanya Ma Anitananda and Adha Prabhupada is our true fortune. We just have to take all the mercy we can. Thank you, Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. You read the comments correctly. The name of the author of the comment was above the comment wall. Thank you. Marco says, it may not be easy, but if we identify with the best version of ourselves when we are offended and leave out the part of us that would not that would be offended, our pride that would be offended, our pride, our historical selves, we could respond constructively. And positively and instructively including preserving us from poisoning emotions and also helping others. You know, another thing to answer this question is how does your behavior affect other people? Because I think that's really important. You know, a lot of times we can control behavior when we understand how it affects other people. I feel like acting this way, but it's going to hurt other people. I won't do it. Compassion is so powerful. And we have two more questions. Should we complain to our Gurmaraj if another devotee really hurts us? No. But we have to keep this and overcome it in our way. And he's already taught you how to do that. Is it correct to tell our Guru that another one of his disciples has been acting correctly? Or he has to find by himself? It depends. It's not a problem if he agrees with you. Or you're just asking, you know, just wanting to inform you that this disciple is creating havoc in the yatra, and you know, if you could help him, something like that. That may be, you know, if it's practical. But first, you should try to help. Krishna, Kanta wants to know, can I pray to Krishna to forgive my offenses? No, pray to the devotee you offended to forgive your offenses. Pray to the holy name to forgive your offenses. Pray to the deity, you know, pray to the dog. Depends who you offended, what you offended. Pray to that very object you offended or person. That's how you do it. Okay, I'm going to go. I think I'm actually supposed to meet somebody maybe soon. But um, I think it was all good. We learned something. How do we act? Right? You have a, a Anandita. Have a, a like Chris Day or somebody was saying, you know, when an advanced devotee sets an example, then we're supposed to act that way. Think of some advanced devotee whose example you respect and honor and you want to be like that. And then when those things happen, just think, well, what would they do? How would they react? And you'll be good. Okay, Hare Krishna to everyone. We will see you later. Go Premanandi!